Uh, you can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Ray, and I'm a member here at the Heights. We're going to spend some time reading God's Word now. Um, today's teaching comes from Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 in the Bible. The large numbers are the chapters, and the small numbers are the verses. Let's hear what God has to speak to us today. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you would speak clearly to us through it today. Help us to listen, not just to listen, but to truly obey for our joy and for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right, can you guys give it up for Ray? You know, it might seem easy for you to sit there and just listen to someone read the Bible, but that's a big deal. So thank you so much, Ray. Um, it's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Heights. And um, this morning is exciting for us because we're kicking off a brand new sermon series starting this morning. Now, if you weren't with us last week, you missed our 17-year like journey through the Gospel of Mark. I'm just kidding. Uh, it was long, but we finished that last week. On to something new. You can cheer for that if you want. Uh, but this ser sermon series uh, is going to take us through Labor Day weekend, which, by the way, is only six weeks away. It's going to be Labor Day. It's going to be fall before we know it. It's amazing. Um, but this sermon series is called Invisibilia. And uh, yeah, yeah, ooh. Um, invisibilia is a Latin word that means the invisible things. And as we jump into this new series, we're asking some pretty big questions. We're asking this question. What are the unseen, invisible barriers and forces in our lives, but also in our culture, in our society, that keep us from experiencing the renewal that God wants for us? Notice I didn't say, are there barriers and forces, but I said, what are those barriers and forces? And so that's what we're after in this series. But let me, let me give you an illustration. Let, let me like show you what I mean by this. Let's put that iceberg on the screen. There we go. We look at this iceberg, and what we notice at first sight is that the majority of the iceberg, let's say 90% of the iceberg, actually exists below the surface of the water. And if we're looking at things from the top, if we're looking at things at just simply face value, we see an iceberg that's 10% of its actual size. But this side angle illustrates something for us. The vast majority of it is below the surface. And in, like in our lives, the vast majority of things 
happening, swirling around in our minds, swirling around in our heart, the vast majority of things that are shaping and forming the way we live and think and act are not things that are visible from the surface. They're things that are visible from below. And in fact, in an iceberg, this is real science here, uh, the direction in which this iceberg floats, the way in which it moves is not determined by the 10% above the water. It's determined by the 90% below the water. And so over these next six weeks, we're setting out to uncover what is below the surface. What in our lives, what in our culture is part of that 90% that is dramatically shaping and forming the way we live and act and think. And in that, what barriers are down there that maybe we're not even aware of that are keeping us from experiencing all that God wants for us What's under there that's keeping us from experiencing a life that's marked by God's renewal, that's marked by freedom, that's marked by a life of fullness and a life of joy? And how do we navigate that in the middle of real life? Well, that's where we're headed. We're going to look at six different barriers or forces that are shaping us, that are forming us in a way that are not leading to us experiencing God's renewal. And so today, as we talk about uh, how one of those barriers are shaping us, one of those forces are affecting us, we're specifically looking at how one of these barriers shapes and forms the way we experience relationships and friendships and even more broadly, our church community. And how these underlying barriers, specifically this invisible force, poses a real threat to our experiencing what God has for us. And so today, our first barrier in this series, this first force that's operating below the surface of our lives is individualism. And this is a really sneaky barrier for us. It floats well below the surface of our lives. In fact, it's not something that we would ever like actively choose, but rather it's something that is, I don't know, sort of woven into the operating system of our lives, woven into the operating system specifically in what it means to be an American. It's down there. In fact, in 2020, I feel like 2020 in so many ways exposed this barrier in our society. Obviously, for the majority of the year, we couldn't physically be together. We were physically kept apart. And in the face of that crisis of social isolation that we all experienced in varying degrees, the average American didn't look upward in the time of social isolation. The average American didn't look outward in the time of social isolation, but the average American looked inward. We took to ourselves, which really exposes the state of our connectedness in our community and the depth of our friendships in the first place. It shows us that we we probably aren't as good of friends with people as we might project, both publicly and online. Because when the Rubber actually met the road in 2020, we turned inward. And guys, this isn't just like some pastor up here saying something to prove a point. Let me show you this. In a survey, uh, the Survey Center on American Life conducted a survey polling thousands and thousands of Americans. And the study of this, or the, the title of this survey was called The State of American Friendship 
Change, Challenges, and Loss. This was conducted in May of 2021, looking back over the last 30 years, okay? And this is what the survey found, that Americans reported, report having fewer close friendships than they once did, talking to their friends less often, and relying less on friends for personal support, okay? So that's what the survey found. I'm going to show you a chart here in a second. Don't put it up there yet. But the way the survey defines close friendship, because you're probably already thinking, like, well, how many close friends do I have? Is that, A, you talk to these people often, and you rely on them for personal support, okay? That's how this survey defines close friendships. And the chart that kind of jumped out to me, kind of jarred me as I was looking at that this week, is the one that is on the screen right now. I want you to look at the decline of number of close friends over the past 30 years. So this is a survey conducted in 1990 over statistics in 2001. And in 1990, 3% of the population said, I don't have a close friend. So 3% of the population said, I don't have one close friend. In 2021, that number is 12% of the population. Okay, that's one in eight Americans. That's, to bring that into this room, that's 30 people in this room, 30 plus people in this room that have, having answered this survey would say, I don't have a close friend. Not one. Not one. And in general, this survey displays that we're a lot less social than what we think we are. In fact, if you look at 1990, in 1990, 33% of the population, that's a third of Americans, one in three Americans said, I have 10 or more friends, close friends, 10 or more. That number has shrunk to 13% in 2021, about one in eight Americans. So how can this be? Like, I, I want us to really put our thinking caps on for a second. Why is this? What's happened in our culture in just three short decades? Like, think about the technological advances that we have in the last three decades. In 1990, the first cordless phone came out that looked like this. You guys, does anyone remember that? I see that phone and it takes me back to my mama's living room right there. Like, I remember that phone. I can, like, I can remember the sound of that ring right now in my head. But that's, that's high-tech 30 years ago. Now, we have computers in our hands that can do way more. What we've seen unfold in the last three decades is really unbelievable in the realm of technology, and really even over the last decade. But you know what it's proven even in light of all the technological advances and advancements, the connectivity of 2021 has not helped us make more friends, develop deeper friendships, but actually it's isolated us. It's given us a digital delusion of friendship. That's what the technological advances have done. It's given us a false sense of community and then what happens is tough times hit like 2020, like we're just coming out of, and it just exposes all the realities. We have the ability to be more connected than ever, but we're less connected than ever. 
We have fewer friends than ever. We have the ability to have more, but we have less. And I really do believe, church, that it is in large because of the individualistic identity that we carry. And what individualism promises, it can't deliver on. It's left us stranded in a land of isolation and loneliness and honestly a mental health crisis. The forces floating below the surface have shaped us and it's not going well for us. And many of us in this room are actually feeling that. Like these aren't numbers on a screen, but many of you are... 30 of you, statistically, are saying, I'm here. I showed up because of that. And I'm just looking for a friend. I'm desperate. I'm lonely. I'm just looking for a friend. Or maybe some of you in this room would have answered this survey saying you had a higher number of friends pre-pandemic than you do now post-pandemic. And whether you would consider yourself religious or not, I believe that we would look at this and we'd say, we have, we have a problem on our hands. Like we have a, like every person has this problem. And we have to think about this. How, does, how do we change this? Because something has to change. Something has to be different. And the point of this series and the point of what we're talking about this morning is that I believe that the Bible has a solution to offer for this great problem. It's not something flashy or catchy. It's not something new or fresh or slick, but it's actually something old and reliable. It's a community of people created and centered around the teachings of Jesus. It's small pockets of friends who let each other in on their real lives. The big decisions and the small decisions, the biggest triumphs and the paralyzing fears of life, the greatest joys in life, and the deepest pains and disappointments. It's a group of people that are willing to share life together. And I believe that if we take Jesus at his word, that we'll be surprised by what unfolds around us and in us. This morning, I want you to see, this is really the big idea for this morning, is that real gospel community is the solution to our individualistic isolation. That real gospel community is the solution to our individualistic isolation. So what we're going to see this morning is we're going to step back. We're going to look at this Bible passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to see three ways that gospel community is better than, than, than individualism. We're going to see three ways that gospel community is better. It's better than individualism, all right? So kind of set up this text, open up. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, uh, what Ray read. We're going to look at verse 19. This is how the author of Hebrews starts this little section in this passage. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, don't, don't miss this, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What the author of Hebrews is doing here is in many ways he's tying up this thought from earlier in the chapter. 
And he's concluding his prior message with this following point. You can have assurance in Jesus. Jesus did what he said he was coming to do. His life, his death, his resurrection, all accomplishing salvation and freedom for anyone who might trust in him. He's saying that the gospel is true. And if the gospel is true, then therefore, verse 22, let us draw near. We can draw near with confidence knowing that these things are true. And this is, you can't get this anywhere else. Knowing that Jesus' blood has covered our sins and that there's no longer guilt in life. Can't get that anywhere else. The gospel here levels the playing field for community. We are all equally needy. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It doesn't matter like the level of job that you have. It doesn't matter the size of house. The gospel levels the playing field for community here because we are all equally in need of the same thing. We're all equally needy and sinful, yet loved and wanted by Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel. And here's why that matters for true community for true gospel community. The gospel of Jesus is literally the only thing that can tie such an eclectic, goofy, weird group of people together. The gospel of Jesus is literally the only thing that can tie us together. In many ways, it's our only commonality. You sit in a room with a bunch of people who call themselves Christian, and you have all different vocations. You have different upbringings. Some of you might speak different languages. You have different numbers in your bank account. But one thing can bring you all together, and it's the gospel. It levels the playing field for us. It's how people from different political persuasions come together under the same name of Jesus. It's how the first century Jew and Gentile came together under the name of Jesus. It's how the, it's the, it's how the differing groups of people of different language that we have more in common because of Jesus. The gospel is the foundation of genuine community in the church, which takes us really to the first of our three ways that gospel community is better than individualism. The first way is that real gospel community helps us hold on to our faith. Helps us hold on to our faith. Look at verse 23. The author of Hebrews says this, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Individualism dissolves the idea that we could hold something in common, especially a faith, because we have to be our own people. It dissolves this idea. Individualism individualism says when life is hard, when things aren't easy, something must be wrong. Therefore, I should deconstruct the thing that's in front of me and pave my own path forward, live my own truth, and then freedom will be found there. The problem with that is that leads us to a place of isolation. We have to push away all the people around us to get to that destination. And then once we get there, we're alone. Because we're so carved out in our individualism. But the Bible says this. Yes, life is hard. The world is not how it ought to be. But Jesus says, but listen, I'm faithful to you. I've not left you. This is not the end of the story. I'm good on my word. So hold on to me 
and hold on to each other. The beauty in this vision for a, a gospel community is that when life gets hard, there's a collective group of people around you that will hold on to you. They will hold on to you. They empathize with you in your pain, in your hurt, and in your sin. They celebrate with you in your greatest triumphs in life. They help you hold on to Jesus when you literally can't hold on anymore. And when you can hold on to Jesus and they can't hold on, like you're holding on to them, helping them hold on to Jesus. Like there's this beautiful, beautiful two-way street in gospel community. And that's the vision that we're given here in the book of Hebrews. But here's what I know. That sounds great. Sounds great for this guy to be saying, but I know that many of you in this room have not had that experience. Your experience has been very different. Your experience, whether it be at a different church or whether it even be at this church, this church is very, very imperfect. And you may have had this experience here. I hope not, but you might have. I've had pastoral meetings with so many of you in this room. I've heard your pain. I've seen it. I've seen the broken state of marriages. I've listened through a room filled with tears to some of the most heart-wrenching stories. And I've, I've heard your experiences with church, good and bad. And for those of you who maybe have went out on a limb before and said, you know what, I don't really know these people, but I'm going to be vulnerable. And it's not been met with empathy and vulnerability. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that you've trusted people with really hurtful things and they haven't cared well for you. Church family, I want to call us up to a higher vision for community. I want to call us up to something that's way better. We've brought our individualism into our circles of community group. We've projected this Instagram veneer version, telling everyone that we're good. We don't want to share our real stuff. We, we give this persona, my life is great, check out my Instagram. We've played it cool like everything's great in our lives. And we aren't real with each other. We're not honest about our real doubts, our real fears our real struggles. And when, when we aren't real about those things, what we do is we act I got a hangnail last week. But, you know, I'm managing. And we have people in in that circle who, like, are hurting in ways that we don't even care about. Like, they're hurting in ways, and they're just looking for something, someone, something to be empathetic towards them. But they don't feel safe to do that because we're too cool. And we undercut the beauty of God's design and community. There's going to be people, we're doing this thing called regroup today, you'll hear more about it, but there's going to be people who are joining your community group, if you're in a community group already, 
who have real pain and real struggle in their lives. And don't we all, if we're just being honest? But there's going to be people that join. And I want to call us up to a higher vision for community. You don't know if this is someone's last-ditch effort on trying Jesus one last time. And they need community that's vulnerable and honest and genuine to share their pain and their hurt so that you can help them hold on to Jesus. Real gospel community helps us hold on to Jesus, helps us hold on to our faith, but it also helps us love and do good for each other. This is the second way that gospel community is better than individualism. Look with me at verse 24. It says this, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. I love the author's word here, provoke. Usually provoke is like a negative thing, like to like provoke someone to anger. You know, you like, everyone knows how to push their siblings' buttons to provoke them, right? But I love how he, how the author of this, of Hebrews says, let's provoke one another to love and good works. That's beautiful. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying, Think about, so you personalize this. I'm personalizing this. Like, I'm going to take this question personal. Think about how I can help create a culture around me of love and good works. Another translation of the Bible says this phrase, consider how to stir up one another. Like, to stir up affections and love and good work towards one another. Real gospel community helps us love and do good for each other. Notice that. It's, it's an each other thing. But you know what individualism says? Individualism says you need to look out for yourself. No one else will. This is about you feeling loved and doing what you love. You can't trust anyone else to look out for you especially for your best interests. They're all about their best interests. Individualism says, curate a life that is centered around you, your wants, your desires, your preferences. And I don't even need to tell you, but in so doing, we isolate ourselves from the people that actually do want to love and care for us because we don't trust them. Sidebar, individualism focuses so heavily on being loved. Like, I want something. I need something. And it totally avoids the component of life that is hardwired into us that loving each other is actually a joyful and fulfilling thing. To give love. I'm, like, guys, giving love is equally a gift as receiving love. Giving love is equally a gift as receiving it. In fact, Thursday morning before work, um, I, was, uh, I was at home and I was holding my daughter, Eleanor, who's a, a little over a year and a half old. And um, she's, been, she's been sick for like a month and she's finally back to herself. And she's like so joyful. Her default is so joyful and laughing and goofy. And I'm holding her and I just, like, I was thinking about how much I love her. This is cheesy. I know it is, but I don't care. I'm holding her, and I'm like, I just love you so much I'm about to bust. All right? That's what I was feeling. And I just get choked up, 
and I start crying, and Sarah walks in, and she's like, what? And I was like, I just love her so much. She's like, what happened? I'm like, nothing. Like, I just love her. I just love her. And you know what? She can't reciprocate love to me. Like, she can't give me anything. She wants to hold my hand when she's walking down the steps. Pure function. Right? She doesn't really just want to hold my hand. Pure function. She's never said, she's never looked back up and said, with tears in her eyes, Dad, I love you too. When she's crying, it's because she's mad, right? So she's never reciprocated. But there's so much fulfillment, there's so much joy in giving love that we miss out on if we buy the lie of individualism. We just miss it. In fact, the gospel, uh, in a gospel community, you both get to love others and you are loved by others. In this countercultural community of people, we celebrate each other. We consider each other when we're making plans. We're looking for ways to invite one another into the normal rhythms of our lives. As we think about this in the life of our church, of like, how do we live this out? Like, how do we stir one another up? How do we consider one another towards love and good works? I think the greatest, the greatest barrier to us doing that is our own unwillingness to be loved. I think that's what stands in our way for most of us, including myself. Partially because we don't want to admit that we need love because we're individualists. We're self-sufficient. We don't need anyone else. I think that's the greatest barrier that stands in the way. But behind that fear of being loved, behind that is actually just fear. And I think it's fear of being known by people because we're unimpressive, right? If you're, if you're impressed by yourself, you're delusional. Like we're very unimpressive people. In fact, I think the fears that we have like manifest something like this. These are the inner dialogues of our mind. We think, if people knew about my real doubts, like I'm doubting this Jesus thing. If they knew about my real fears, like, I think they might kick me out. If they really knew how many people that I've slept with this month, and my shame was exposed to that level, like, they wouldn't love me. I'm unlovable. Or we think, you know, if they knew where I'm really at, if they knew how desperate and how needy and how clingy I am, they would quit inviting me. So I got to play it cool. And we go into this headspace where we think we're unlovable. That's what we think. That drives this fear in us and keeps us like playing things close to the chest, right? Like we don't want to share real things. And one, that's just not true. That's a lie we tell ourselves. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's just not true. I remember talking to someone a few years ago in our church who um, was wrestling with some of life's biggest questions like what I just described. And this person was like on the edge. They were on the edge of like, do I press in or do I pull away? Do I press in or do I pull away? And in, instead of pressing in to their 
community with their fears and their doubts and their frustrations, they kind of, they pressed out. Their thought process was this. I don't want to burden these people. I have some stuff that I need to, like, pull away and sort out in my head, and then I'll re-enter a better version of myself. And two things happen. One, we rob, when, when we do that, we rob our community of the opportunity to love us and, and encourage us towards good works. We rob our, opportuni- our community's opportunity to fill that void. But secondly, secondly, in our isolation, as we pull away, we all, always, maybe not always, most of the time, we find bad counsel to believe. In fact, this person was uh, pulled away, saw a therapist, and big advocate of, of counseling and therapy. But be warned, this is just like Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan saying, there's bad therapists. There are bad counselors. There are. There are. I've seen, it. I've seen it happen, I don't know how many times. Bad counselors. This person goes to their therapist, and their therapist obviously had a bone to pick with the church. This therapist said, I think that you need to kind of distance yourself from your faith community because I think it's a crutch for you, and you'll never get better until you distance that. And you know what happened? They're not in this room anymore. They're not here anymore. Guys, we are all unlovable. If we were fully known and everything were exposed, we would like, oh my gosh, guys. But you know what's also, in our most unlovable state, Jesus comes, enters into our mess, and saves us, and loves us in spite of what we think is our unlovability. And if that is the core belief of our community, then don't you think that you could share your junk in a community of people, and that they would not just treat you the same as Jesus, right? Like, we're modeling what Jesus has done for us in the gospel with community. That's what all this is. It's a mirror of what Jesus has done for us. The real gospel helps us love and do good for each other. But lastly, the real gospel, in real gospel community, helps us encourage one another. This is our third way that gospel community is better than individualism. Look with me at verse 25. The author continues his thought saying, Not neglecting to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Individualism says, you've got this on your own. You're strong. You're an independent person. You don't need other people. Access your inner strength. Live your truth and obey yourself. And gospel community says, I'm weak. I'm needy. Let's come together. Let's build each other up towards encouragement. Let's lean on each other. That's a good thing. We were made for it. That's what it means to be human. We aren't all that strong after all. And a a quick word on encouragement. Like, in an age where I'm not really on social media that much, but the little that I am and all the horror stories that I do hear, it's just this toxic place where people are tearing each other down with ideals. And what if we as a church flip that on its head and instead of using our words to tear each other down, we used our words like Hebrews 10 says to build each other up. I wrote this in my notes. 
what if we aggressively encouraged each other? Aggressively. With a little snarl. You know what I mean? Aggressive. You got to love the author of Hebrews. He like slides this little phrase in there about playing hooky at church. Did you, see, did you guys catch that? He says, he says, he commands the churchgoers to stop neglecting. That's a, that's a big word. Neglecting to gather together because it's the habit of some. I, I think his word habit there is really informing to us that it becomes a habit. I mean, obviously, he's not talking about our church. He's talking about another church. I mean, it's not like there are people that call the Heights home who've neglected gathering together and it's snowballed into this invisible habit in their life and they haven't come back after COVID. It must be talking about our friends over at the summit, right? So let's show up and press in, church. Like, simply put, let's not neglect each other. I think we think when we pull away, it's kind of like the gym. It's like, well, if I skip a day, I'm literally only hurting myself. But when you skip a day, you're slowing down at church and in community, you're actually slowing down the spiritual growth of other people because we need each other. So we pull away thinking, well, I got to go work some stuff out and I got to like, you know, I'm going to take a break. But what we're doing is we're actually putting, pushing pause on other people's spiritual growth around us. Like, I think that's important. Like, I want that to, like, sit on us for a second. Because this, this thing is not about individualism. Individualism, yeah, sure. It's about you, so you can do what you want. But that's not, that's not how the church works. So let's press in. Let's encourage each other. Let's encourage each other aggressively. There's a lot floating under the surface of our lives. It's a lot floating under the surface of our culture. And if we don't identify these things, like individualism, and how it has its tendency to creep its way into our church, it will inevitably float us away from Jesus and his community. That's the natural drift. New York Times columnist David Brooks wrote this in his book, The Second Mountain, talking about this idea of individualism. He says, Our society suffers from a crisis of connection, a crisis of solidarity. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. There's always a tension between self and society, between the individual and the group. Over the past 60 years, we have swung too far towards self. The only way out. This isn't like a Christian book, okay? Like, this is someone, a cultural observer, looking at where we are. The only way out is to rebalance, to build a culture that steers people towards relation, community, and commitment. Listen, the things that we most deeply yearn for yet undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. So church family, the invitation for this, from this Bible passage this morning is for us to move away from individualism towards gospel community, out of our isolation, out of our loneliness, into real gospel community, where we can experience renewal and freedom that we're longing for, that's only found through Jesus. The author of Hebrews says that there's an opportunity 
for us to have a clean conscience and a whole life cleansing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a life marked by certainty and assurance, a life of hope and love and good works and deep friendships and community. And so here's what we're doing today. Really simply, this is not flashy. Here's what we're doing. We want to give you an on-ramp into a real gospel community today. That's our response. That's, our, that's what we want to do. If you've never been part of a community group before, that's what we call our small groups here at the Heights. If you've never been part of a community group, we want to help you get in a group. If you're part of a community group already, but you're one of the folks who's been playing hooky, we want to help you recommit and double down and be part of your group. Be a contributor there. If you're a contributor to your community group, and you're like, I'm already all in. We want you to commit to being a culture setter in your community group, okay? Where we live these things, we embody these realities from Hebrews chapter 10. We want you to recommit. So immediately following service, our primary response this morning, we're going to remind you again later, is for you to go out one of these three doors, go right down there, and again, Whatever your next step with a group is, we want to help you take that. And I know that there's probably a number of you in this room, or those of you who are watching online, who, who probably wouldn't call yourself a Christian. You're exploring Christianity right now. And first off, I just want to say props to you. Like, we're glad you're here. This is a safe place for exploration. This is a safe place to ask questions. But one of the things I really want to encourage you towards is to explore Christianity both intellectually but also experientially. Christianity, just like life, isn't primarily about intellect, but it's both intellect and experience. And so we want to encourage you uh, to jump in a community group. Like, there's no commitment here. Like, just jump in and explore Christianity both intellectually and experientially, and give it a shot. Jesus and the church community are a whole package, and I I don't know that you can fully explore Christianity without experiencing both the teachings of Jesus and the people of Jesus. So we'd love for you to explore Christianity in a group here this fall. We're also going to respond this morning through taking communion. If you'd consider yourself a Christian, We invite you to come forward or go backwards. We have four stations and take communion. And we're reminded in this act of Jesus' blood that was spilled and his body broken to bring renewal in our lives. And in the gospel, we can have assurance and security that our hearts have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus, cleansed from a self-condemning conscience and a whole life washed purified, and renewed. As we sing this first song in our response time, Jace is going to lead us in like thinking about what we're singing to God. So allow this song to really inform the way we respond this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll respond. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you're, you're not a God who just like leaves us in our mess You're not irrelevant, but you know exactly what to speak right into our circumstance. 
You know exactly what we need. And so, Lord, this morning as we look at these competing things, specifically individualism this morning, I pray, God, that in our church family, we would move away from individualism towards real gospel community. Both in word and in practice. And so would you help us this morning? Lord, help us to respond however you would have us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and respond?